You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Two texts. We're doing our comparison between the days of creation and the seven signs in John's gospel that correspond to those days of creation. So today we're on day three of creation and we're on the third sign in John's gospel. So Genesis chapter one, we'll start there and then we'll move to the gospel of John. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So day three is the relationship between land and water. And when they have an appropriate relationship, fruit can grow. Just so happens that this is the third sign in John's gospel. And this, after this, there is a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would anoint this room to make preaching easy and to make hearing your word a delight to us all. In your name we pray. Amen. We're continuing our series, Let There Be Rest, and we're talking about how these days of creation all interact with the Sabbath. Last week, we talked about how taking simple delight throughout the day, having a rhythm of rest, helps us open our heart to God in those times in life when it seems like heaven and earth are very far apart. So all the little rhythms that we can have about stopping in the midst of chaos and taking simple delight, it seems when we do it, that was pretty, that was nice, I'm glad I got a breather, but when heaven and earth seem to be pulled apart and tragedy strikes or unanswerable questions strike, that time that you spent, you don't realize what God has deposited in you. You will only have grace for the current situation that you're in. This is why when we imagine things, we get anxiety. Because when we imagine something that hasn't happened, we can't imagine it with the grace that we would have if it happened. So you sit there and say, I can't imagine what it would be like to lose somebody. And then when you're at a funeral, you say, man, I can't believe how well they're taking it. Because there's grace then. Because it happened. It's like manna. There's only enough for the day. Whatever you need that day, that's what you have. And so when you, when you take time to delight, God is sending grace into your life that is being stored for moments when you need it. So, so do that. Today, I want to talk about how delight opens us up to a God, as we said earlier, who isn't impossible. 
but it opens up to us to a God who's actually possible. And I want to start with this story. I want to tell this story. Uh, something I got pulled over. And I, this was, I think we had just started dating. So it was 2006, 2007. And I was working at the children's home in Poughkeepsie right by Marist College. And I leave, and I'm on my phone, and I'm on the phone with Jacqueline. Everybody, this is the key part of the story. I'm on the phone with Jacqueline. And I drive by a police officer. She saw me. And I saw her. And I stayed on my phone. I was like, we're driving by. And I'm on the phone. And I'm like, I'm definitely getting pulled over because she saw me. I kind of like pulled the phone away from my face and then put it back up again. So I pull over on the side of Route 9. And she pulls up behind me and calls from the car, William Dandriano, please exit the vehicle. I'm like, this is not a good situation to be in. Please exit the car on the shoulder side. Well, I can't because the steering wheel's on this side. So I'm climbing over. I get out of the car. All of my friends, like, we all leave and work. Everyone's driving by, like... I walk over to the car like Sophia when she's getting in trouble. I'm like, I'm like kind of far away. She rolls down the window. She's like, put your head in the window. I'm like, oh my gosh. She goes, I saw you on the phone. I saw you put the phone down and I saw you pick it back up again. Exact words. I should tase you right now. And in my head, I'm like, please don't because everybody looks dumb when that happens. Like you never look cool. You're just like, So I said, I understand that you want to take, and listen to me, I know I embellish things. I'm telling you the honest to God truth. I would never say this again, but I said it that one time. This is true what I said. I'm not lying. This is true. Not that I lie. I preach, but that's not the point. <laughs> this is honestly what I actually said. I said, honestly, it, it would be better for you to tase me than for me to hang up on my girlfriend. She's the worst. That's what happened at the time. I thought it was a pretty good argument. The cop laughs and she says, you know what? If you weren't so cute, I'd give you a ticket. Get out of here. I'm so glad that there's female cops because now it could work the other way around. I have no idea why that story matters to anything that I'm talking about right now. I've just been dying to find a time to say it. My wife is not the worst, but you actually aren't the worst because saying you were the worst got me out of a ticket and getting taped. So I don't know where to go from there. What happened, what had happened, systematically, I could have gotten a ticket. But this police officer had a conversation and it worked because because I think about it every time I'm on my phone while I'm driving no I'm just kidding I think I haven't ever gotten pulled over for this because I remember that moment like really a lot of grace was shown and by the letter of the law I could have gotten a ticket and they don't plead those ones down very often and so you have somebody who is vested with authority who has the option to have a conversation or stick to the letter of the law. And what you saw there was a rhythm. 
I have a feeling if I ever got pulled over by her again, there would have been a slightly different conversation that would have been had, and I wouldn't have come if she called me over to the car. Like, I'm just going to sit in the car because it's the second time. But in that particular moment, there was grace, there was conversation, and I feel like we walk around knowing that God vested us with authority to have dominion over the earth. He vested us to have authority over our children. He vested us to have dominion over the powers of darkness, but we need to use that authority like a conversation, not a system. God tells Adam and Eve not to sin, and then the day you do, you will die. And then when they sin, he says, where are you? He enters confrontation with sin in a conversation, not in a system. He talks. He dialogues. And here's the thing. God's conversation about sin is so profound that his words turn into a person named Jesus. God's conversating over sin is so powerful that it looks like Jesus on the cross, the word talking on a cross. Jesus is the conversation that God is always having with us about our sin. I think that's my best point for the whole day, so it's only going to go down here at this point from now on. Rhythms. I'm going to talk about this for the rest of the summer. Rhythms. Rhythms instead of systems. On the third day in creation, God creates plants that produce fruit by first setting the sea a limit so dry land can appear. The goal for the third day was to produce plants that produce fruit. But in order to do it, God first had to take the water and put it in one place and assign a limit for it so that dry land could appear, so that there could be the proper relationship between land and water, that in the perfect rhythm of land and water, seed can turn into fruit. Right? No water is a desert. Too much water is a flood. In both of those instances, plants don't grow. But with the proper rhythm of both, fruit can grow. But notice what God has to do all in Genesis. This is very important. All throughout Genesis, God divides. He divides the night from the day. He divides light from darkness. Uh, last week, he divided the, the sky from the ground or the heavens from the earth. He here is dividing light, uh, water from land. He's dividing when he initially creates. For the first three days, he's dividing. Is God divided? Not a trick question. Is God divided? He's perfect unity. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but to bring a, and to divide a household against itself. He even said, I came to divide a daughter-in-law for her mother-in-law. Can I get a witness for somebody that it seems like sometimes he's still doing that? I won't make too many in-law jokes. Some of our elders are my in-laws, so... We'll land the plane very nicely on that, mom and dad. When you open to the book of Revelation, follow me here, please. You don't see any division. John hears a lion, but when he turns around, he sees a, say it out, a lamb. He hears a lion, but sees a lamb. So the lion and the lamb are the same. There's no division. 
he hears the number 144,000. How many of you have had people knock on your door talking about the 144 elect and having all these verses? It's because uh, you can say with Jesus what he said to the Sadducees, you know not the scriptures nor the power of God because it says, John says, behold, I heard a number and the number was 144,000. But when I turned, I saw a great multitude that cannot be numbered. So he heard a lion, but saw a lamb. He heard the number 144,000, but saw so many people he couldn't number them. These contradictions are becoming unified in the person of Jesus. There are our verse for our Eucharisma revival services. And I saw a sea of glass mingled with fire. Water and fire don't go, but in heaven they do. So in the book of Revelation, everything that should be separated is completely unified. And in Genesis, everything that should be unified is separated. Because Genesis is not the beginning of God creating the earth. Genesis is the beginning of God redeeming the earth. It's not the story of initial creation. It's the story of the beginning of redemption. And what does Jesus say? He says, here's what I do. I come to bring division. Why? So that when I, right now your unions are broken, but I divide them so that you can relearn how everything is supposed to relate. So I'm going to divide the light from the day so that you can learn how light and dark relate to each other. I'm going to divide the evening from the morning so that you can see how the parts of the day relate to each other. I'm going to divide heaven from earth so you can see how heaven and earth are meant to relate to each other. I'm going to divide land from water so that you can see how land and water are meant to relate to each other. That's why when we see a flood, something aches in us because it's not good because we're learning what the right relation is supposed to be. So when Jesus says, I came to divide a household, he's saying, I came to pull it apart so everyone in the household could see how you're meant to be together. I'm going to divide the sheep and the goats so that we can see how they relate. Okay, I'll move on. I won't, I won't go too far. Watch this. On Easter Sunday, Jesus is in a garden, and Mary is sitting at the tomb weeping. And when she sees Jesus and knows that it's Jesus, what does she do? She grabs onto him. You need to hear this. She grabs onto him. And what does Jesus say? He says, don't cling to me. Why? Because I have not yet ascended to the Father. He divides himself from her. What did we just say? He divides so that he can show us what the right relationship is meant to be. Jesus says, Mary, don't hold on to me like this because we weren't meant to relate like this. I'm pushing you away. I'm dividing this relation that you have with me so that in Acts 2, I could descend on you and be in you. I could be closer to you than your breath. I could be closer to you than your next thought. If you don't let go of me this way, you'll, you'll be infinitely farther from me than I really want to be with you. See, we think if we hold on to things and keep them close to us, we think that we're close, but we're actually getting farther the tighter you hold on to something that you don't want to lose, the farther you get from it. There has to be division, and then right relationship can be had. Land has to be divided from water so that the two can relate proportionately in a way that brings growth. Mary has to be separated from Jesus because she wants Jesus the way that she used to have him, but the way that she used to have him isn't anywhere near as good as the way she's about to have him. So, but he pushes, he separates so that he can re-relate or recreate or redeem our relation to things.
So look at the gospel text. The rhythm of water to land is like a tide. Sometimes it's high tide, sometimes it's low tide. Honestly, all jokes aside, it's, it's the way that a police officer should be. A rhythm, a conversation, thought going into things. Like that was a good experience. Some of us have had bad experiences. That was a good experience. But I use it to say when there's rhythms and not systems, life can happen. Everything isn't black and white. It's not meant to be black and white. It's supposed to be far better than that. Here's the third day of creation. God is dealing with land and water. And the third sign in John's gospel is a man who can't walk on dry land hoping to get put in the water. Do you see that connection? He's got a systematic relationship with the water. I can't get there, so therefore I'll never be in it, and therefore I'll never be healed. It's a formula. It's been like this for 38 years. It's never going to change. There's no rhythm. Watch what happens. Jesus comes and says to the man, do you want me to heal you? And the man's response is, I have no one to put me in the water. We could preach for months about that right there. Again, day three of creation is about God separating things so that they can rhythmically work together so that there can be enough water and enough land for there to be fruit and plants. And now we have the opposite of that in this man who's paralyzed. Jesus says, do you want me to heal you? And his answer is system. I have no one to put me in the water. That's not the question I asked you. But do you see the psychology of that? Do you want me to heal you? For 38 years, I have bought into the system that it need that being in that water at the specific time it stirred up is how I'll get healed. So when somebody says to me, do you want me to heal you? I'm more system than I am rhythm. And so I answer according to the system and I'm not even answering the question God just asked me. Do you want me to heal you? I have no one to put me in the water. How many know the story of Naaman? Oh my gosh, we need to do a Bible survey course again or something. Naaman, who's got leprosy, and he goes to the prophet and says, how can I be healed? And the prophet tells him to go into the Jordan and dip seven times. Well, this is now scripture for Israel. And Israelites, like us, take scripture literally all the time and say, well, this is, if you have this disease, this is how you get healed. You go into the water. And so this man has a verse for that, but the verse for that's not working for him because he can't get to the water. But then the Israelites could come and say, well, that was the Gentile man who got dunked in the Jordan. He got saved in water, but we got saved from Egypt out of the water. We got saved on dry land when the Red Sea parted. So water has nothing to do with healing. Dry land has everything to do with healing. Do you see how this argument can happen? The Gentiles could say, it's in water that you get healed. And the Israelites could say, well, actually, no. It's actually on dry land that you get delivered. And then comes Jesus, who walks on water as if it's dry land. (laughs) And then comes God when they're in the desert and water shows up in the desert out of a rock. And then comes God when the way to get into the promised land has to go through the Jordan and they walk through a lake, but on dry land at the same time. You see how God doesn't submit to the systems of climate? 
or logic or nature for that matter. He's got a rhythm. If I want water to be dry land, it will be. If I want there to be streams in the desert, there will be. If I want the desert to turn into a pool of water, it will be. If I want water to turn into dry land, it will. Do you see that? Rhythm, not system. Rhythm. Sabbath delight opens us to possibility. And Christ is the proper rhythm. Sabbath delight opens us to possibility. In Genesis 3, there's rhythmic relationship between water and land, and it's just so that seeds can get watered but not flooded, and they can get watered and not dried out. There's a good rhythm that God establishes for that, and we need to be establishing our relationships with ourselves, with God, with each other the same way. Sabbath delight opens us to the possibility when we're outside the boundaries of rhythm, we become unaware of opportunity, self-validated, and we have unexamined reactions. I'm going to talk about these right now. When we're outside the boundaries of rhythm and we're living in systems, we're living in principles, we're living in, if I do, God must, which is never true. There are things we can do to put ourselves in the best position to receive the blessings, of course, and we should do them, but none of them work fully. It's been really intense the last two weeks, so I'm just going to, I'm trying to be a little bit more, there's a lot of examples that I could give, but they're devastating, so I will stay away from them. Unaware of opportunity. This man is so insistent. He's so formulaic, that when God comes and says, do you want me to heal you? He answers systematically, no one's here to put me in the pool. Why? Because he's unaware of opportunity. He doesn't realize that the pool itself just walked up to him. I need to get put in the pool, but what if the pool has legs and hands and looks like Jesus? And the river of living water himself just showed up to you and is asking you a question. And you're so wrapped up in systematic thinking and principles that you actually don't even see the opportunity in front of you. Saints, this is all of us all of the time. We discipline our children systematically, and do we stop like that good quality police officer and actually have a conversation to make sure that the way we're about to discipline is consistent with what happened, not with the system we've created? (laughs) Bianca's like, please, God, let my parents. (laughs) You become unaware of opportunity. You become self-validated. Once you have a system... And, and for us Christians, we, we do this with the Bible all the time. Time would fail me, and I would sweat more than I am now if I really start to preach about this. But we've created biblical principles. We've created pearls of wisdom, if you will, that once they're in place, we don't need God anymore. We just need God to help us maintain the system, not have a conversation with him. So we become Pilate instead of Mary. We become governors instead of servants. We start maintaining and working more on the track than on God, on the system, more than the God who creates rhythms. 
there must be something wrong with my system. I must not have gotten the system right. I must have plugged one wrong form, uh, number into the formula. And we become self-validated. I know what went wrong, which we don't. We know what manifested, but we don't know what went wrong. Don't look at me in that tone of voice like Randall Worley used to say. We, th- we know what manifested, but we don't know what went wrong. There's no sickness called throwing up. Throwing up happens because there's a sickness in you, and that's how your body's manifesting it. It's how it's fighting it, but it itself isn't the issue. It could be a number of different things, but you can see the throwing up. You can't see what the issue itself is. But when you live systematically, we say, I know exactly what went wrong in my life. I know exactly why, and I know exactly what I can do differently to fix it. No, you don't. No, you don't. And no, you don't. We become Pharisees. We become legalists of the highest order. Self-validated. I know what went wrong. I know why. And I know what I can do differently. You don't know what went wrong, which means you don't know why. And there's nothing you could do differently. Thank you. And then, I love this. Rowan Williams coined this phrase. He said, Living an unholy life could be described as living in unexamined reactions. (sighs) Praise the Lord. I was like, Rowan, don't, don't, don't talk about my life in your books. Unexamined reactions. Have you ever reacted without thinking and then, worse, didn't think about the reaction? Yes. You have. That's why I don't have an Instagram or a Facebook because I can't watch what goes on. I just have, I have my view of you and I don't want to see farther into it. I don't want to see what you posted. I don't want to see what you did on Friday. I have my rose-colored view of what my congregation at Salem Tabernacle is like, and I don't want to see your unexamined reactions to things. Unexamined reactions. The Pharisees try to kill Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. He broke their system because the Sabbath is not a system, it's a rhythm. And instead of appreciating and starting to dance to the rhythm that is Jesus, they want to kill him because he broke a system and never examine it until Jesus is dead. They never examine the reaction. And neither do we when we're living systematically. Why? Because when we're living systematically, we don't have to examine anything because we know why it went wrong. But what about the ministry of rhythms? I said before, Christians, we often say things like, give me a nugget of wisdom. Give me a pearl of wisdom. God doesn't want to give us nuggets or pearls. He wants to give us seeds because seeds need soil. And for them to grow, it needs rhythm. Don't ever look for a nugget. Because a nugget will always be a nugget. And a pearl will always be a pearl. But a seed will turn into a tree. And produce more seeds like itself. It's far easier to have a pearl than it is to have a seed because pearls take no work. I just have to not lose them, which I probably will anyway. But seeds take a lot of work. But what you get is fruit and more seed. We, but we need to minister rhythms. If we live in systems, we lose the ones who cannot bear the system. I have three quick stories. The first one is a story about tithing. In 2005, 
Jacqueline and I were about to start dating. I remember where I was standing when I had this conversation. I was at St. Cabrini in Highland. And Jacqueline says, oh, my dad said we can date now. Good. Good. Elder George is a wise man. Nope. He rolled the dice. Man in faith. Casted his lots. Jacqueline says, there's one problem. And I'm like, well, that's cute because there's a lot more than one problem. But as long as you only see one, we're good. She said, you don't tithe. And I won't be with somebody who doesn't tithe. Now, here's what's funny. I was doing a lot of other stupid stuff. (laughs) But you know what she knew? A man who can't part with his treasure is not somebody that's trustworthy to be around. Yep, I'll let that sit for a minute. Of all the things that explain all of the sins, our association with money does it best. When I can't give an imperfect organization my tithe and trust that God sees me giving it to him, I'll never be able to let go of anything in my life. At best, I'll be a philanthropist, but I'll never be charitable. She knew that. Yeah, he does some of the things that Pentecostals for a long time have said not to do. I won't say all the ones that they were, but there was a lot. But I wasn't tithing. And she said, I can't trust you if you can't part with your money the way God said to part with your money. She's 100% right. And here's the thing. It was the cold, hard facts. I'm not dating you if you don't tithe. Fast forward, it's going to be... 16 years, 13 years, here we are pastoring. And in the last two years, I've had three different people come up to me and say, Pastor, I'm not tithing. Well, do you think you should? Yes, but I can't now. Because me, I'm single me, living at home, when Jacqueline saw I can afford to start tithing, but if you've grown up and you've become an adult and you have a wife and kids and a husband and a family and all this other stuff, it's a lot harder to just all of a sudden take 10% of the gross Because that's what you made. What happened? Oh, yeah. It's hard to take 10% when you have developed a life that doesn't have it anymore. One, she was 100% right. Point blank. No discussions. Nothing. You do tithe and we can date. You don't and I'm not with you. But then I'm faced with similar situation and in, with all three people. I said, here's what we're going to do. 2% a month for five years. Slowly cultivate your way into being able to afford tithing. Don't crush your finances one year. Slowly Rhythmically, get yourself there. Add 2% every year. There's no system. Everything is based on relationship in the moment. You can hurt people. Something works for us, it doesn't mean it works for the person next to you. If you try to force it onto the person next to you, you don't know their life like God does. You don't know where they're at. We have to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit and work with people and disciple people and parent and do all of these things rhythmically, not systematically. 
because what Jacqueline did to me wouldn't work in those other three situations because I was in a different phase of life than they are. Rhythms, not systems. I love this story. Dan and Jess, I asked him if I could do this. I asked Dan if I could do this. Jess, if you're unhappy about this, punch him in the face later. He deserves it. But I'm going to tell the story anyway. So they're at, they're at my house. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is probably right around the same amount of time. This is like 15 years ago. We're at, we're at the house, which it was my parents' house. And Dan is over and Jess is over. And my mom is talking to them. And my mom says, oh, when did you guys get married? And they said, we're not married yet. And my mom said, but I thought you just said you live together. And they're like, we do. And my mom goes, Dan, go outside for a second. My mom is gangster when it comes to being a Christian, let me tell you. Dan, go outside for a second. So I go outside with Dan, and Dan's like, what's going on? And I'm like, um, well, you just spent the last night with Jess. My mom's telling her to go back home. We go back inside. Jess is crying. My mom has a conversation with both of them. And what Dan, I, I asked him last minute, I asked him during the worship service, I said, okay, if I tell the story, and Dan said this, he goes, I want you to tell the story because it's part of my testimony and it's part of why my marriage has made it through everything it's made it through. Because they listen. There's another couple in the church when I was the assistant pastor that Pastor Mark and I were working with, and they're engaged, and they're living together, and the reality is, Neither of them could go home because home was a terrible place. Not good, not safe, not healthy. And so we worked with the elders on putting certain sanctions down and saying, listen, we're not going to ask you to move out, but we're going to ask you to be accountable. We're going to ask you to work with us on how you live together in a way that best honors Christ until you get married. But do you see the difference? In one situation, it was okay to say move out. In another situation, it would have been physically harmful to one or both of the people to go back home. And so we're called to live in rhythms and not systems. Before everybody freaks out, I'll put a Bible text on it. You have blind Bartimaeus who gets healed and he says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, come follow me. And blind Bartimaeus follows him. And then the demoniac gets healed in the, in, in the gospel of Luke. And he says, Jesus, can I follow you? And Jesus says, no, go into the city and tell everybody what I've done for you. So, okay, so let me get, all right. So if you're healed from blindness, then you can follow Jesus. But if you're healed from a demon, then you can't. no. It's just saying that Jesus needs some people to be with him and other people to go and tell everybody what he did. And a lot of times, sorry, I cut you off. You can clap. Go ahead. (laughs) A lot of times, in a lot of spaces, people talk about that as the difference between the clergy and the laity, where it's, it's the job of a clergy person to follow Christ so he can learn from him, and it's the job of the laity to go out and proclaim everything they learn. That might be right, that might not be right, but the reality is that's people trying to be creative with rhythms and not try to force the Bible into a system. So when we're inside, I'll close with this, when we're inside the rhythms of Christ, number one, we know and name opportunity. I want to be very clear about this point. Being inside the boundaries of Jesus, listen to me carefully, does not mean you have it all together. It means you can name where you don't have it all together. I hope that frees you. You can be in Christ and have nothing together. What is kingdom organization is not having it together. It's finally being able to say where you don't. 
See where you don't. Know where the areas of opportunity are. I loved working at Allstate Insurance Company. Whenever we would have terrible numbers, they would say, well, you have a lot of opportunity here. That was their way of like backhanding you and telling you you're doing a terrible job, but they said it really well because you can't say anything mean in the workplace because if you hurt one person's feelings, now the whole company can be sued. Say one thing to me, Allstate, I'll put it on Twitter, right? Like, you can't go crazy. So they said, you know what, Bill? You have some opportunity here. Oh, gee, thanks for the compliment. I know what you mean. But we can name, when you can name where it is, when you know where the leak is, that's all Jesus is looking for. Kingdom organization is not having it together. It's knowing where you don't. Being able to see it and name it. And feel okay and not condemn seeing it and naming it. open to proper input as opposed to being self-validated. And I say proper input because I have already come across people who say, I'm not making these decisions by myself. Right, you asked your three friends and you already know what they're going to say. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to a different culture than it was when Pastor Phil built this room, but here's the reality, and I say this with humble confidence, spiritual authority matters. And here's the reality. When we sit down together, or you're with your elders, or you're with your deacons, and directives are given, here's the reality. A third thing happens that's better than you going to a spiritual authority, and it's better than the stuff your spiritual authority says. When those two things meet each other, when the faith to come under spiritual authority and the willingness to bear that authority come together faithfully, a third thing happens. And that third thing is where the best issues of life flow from. It's not, go, it's not when I went to Pastor Phil or Pastor Mark and said, hey, here's where I'm frustrated. Here's where I'm failing. Here's where I'm really messing up. And it wasn't their advice. It's what happened in me when that conversation took place. There's a reason why when Jacqueline and I meet, when there's an issue in a marriage, we don't meet with just one spouse. Back in the day, they usually met with the husband and the husband went home and talked to the wife. We don't see it that way. Because it's not the information we're giving that matters. It's the event of having the conversation that changes you. And we need both the husband and the wife to be present for that. Have you ever had an amazing conversation and wanted to go home and tell somebody about it and you can't recreate it? You try to explain what the pastor said or you try to explain the conversation you had out in the parking lot for three hours and you just can't quite explain it? It's because the event was better than the conversation itself. What, the, 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 what we're having between us right now is better than anything I'm saying, and it's better than anything you're hearing. This moment is what's changing you. So it's not about how competent your spiritual authority is. It's about having the conversation anyway. Because it's, what God does is better than the advice you'll get. And it's better than the discomfort of going. It's a third thing that happens. You leave with some information, but you leave different. So, yeah, we could all ask our friends... I could ask my mom, how did the sermon go today? It was the best one you ever preach. Every time. Number one, you're dissing all my other messages. Don't realize it. My mom's always going to tell me that. My mom is my biggest fan. She loves me. I need to ask other people, like Matt Fiducia, how did my sermon go? He'll tell me the truth. That's why I don't ask. <laughs> 
But we need people who will be honest with you. I shudder to ask Elder Paul, how did my sermon go? He's not here right now, so I feel safe. How did it go? Well, you know, ah, when your voice starts high, it's never good. How was that message? Well, no. What happened? We need people to tell us the truth about ourselves. We need people to try to tell us the truth about ourselves and get it wrong because it doesn't matter what Jesus does when we let down our guard and let someone else speak. That's the thing that matters. They might get it wrong, but you'll still leave different and better. And then finally, we have to have a search me, oh Lord, mentality. Examine decisions opens us up to the life of God. We're afraid to examine past decisions because we're afraid to either be embarrassed or convicted or fearful that it was wrong and now that's going to be the reason why everything else is going wrong. But that's not how it works. I'll be very honest with you for you. I feel really good about the message I preached last week, but there's a few things that I realize next time I'm talking about something so intense, I'm going to say a few things differently than I did last week. Because I've never been in a position where I'm speaking from such triggered emotion before. I hope I don't have to be. But if I ever am, I've already written down some things. I examined how that went because it was such an unnatural place to be. And I was like, you know, a lot went well, but you know, I would maybe say that differently. And I would, I would maybe write that out instead of saying it off the cuff. I'd maybe write more down in a sermon like that and read it as opposed to just extemporaneously say it. That's okay. If you need me to be better than that, bye. I won't be. I'm going to learn in front of all of you. I want you to learn in front of me too. Examine our, it's, it's, if Jesus is defeated because I made a mistake, he was defeated a long time ago. We have to be willing to examine. Because here's the reality. Our past is still as open to God's possibility of redeeming it than our future is. I can only work on my present and future. But God isn't done with my past yet. So that gives me hope. That gives me encouragement. That the things I've done that were good, when God's done with them, they're going to look a lot better. And the weeds and the tears that I've sown, I have a feeling when, when heaven comes and I turn around, I'll realize he uprooted all of them. Listen, I'll, go, I'll, I'll live and die with Abraham. I'll hope against hope. And so then why do we come to the table? One man leaves healed from the pool. Everyone else lays there still sick, still blind, still lame, and still paralyzed. One man leaves healed. The rest of us lay there. We're blind because systems can't see, because systems don't need to see. They just need to have the wheels clicked into the track, and you can go to sleep. We're lame because systems don't walk, they ride. Systems don't walk. Systems don't make decisions. Systems have no choices. You click into the track and your legs don't have to work. It's just going to take you where it wants you to go. And we're paralyzed because it's not in a system that we live and move and have our being. It's in a person that we live and move and have our being. 
And so we come to the table of the Lord. Let's all stand to our feet. We come to the table of the Lord because here is where system breaks down and rhythm begins. It's the table of the Lord where systems break down. Jesus burnt every system to the ground on Good Friday. And he raised up rhythms. And so we come to the table. Life and death finally coming together to create resurrection power and interaction with Christ in the most basic of human elements. Things that are forgotten by everybody else become sacred emblems for us. And as we always say, if God can do it with bread and juice from Sam's Club, how much more people that he created and called good. If he can hover over this bread and this cup, he can hover over you and your past and your present and your future this morning and make something of it. Father God, so many of us are stuck in a system of our own making, consciously, unconsciously, religious systems, cultural systems, And we just ask, Holy Spirit, as we journey to your table this morning, that you would reveal to us that we don't need somebody to pick us up and bring us to the pool. The pool is coming to us. And that when we leave here, we wouldn't look at the blind and the lame and the paralyzed out there spiritually and condemn them for not getting to the pool. But I pray that we would Realize the pool is meeting us at the table this morning. And when we leave here, I pray that Salem leaves as the pool. And we would walk right through systems and touch lives and bring rhythm to where there's system. Holy Spirit, I pray that you fall on these gifts and make them for your people, the body and blood of Jesus the food and the drink of new and unending life in him and sanctify us also, forgive us of our sins, heal us and allow us to come to your table and receive in this simple, scandalously embarrassing small meal the food and drink of new and unending life in him. I pray for anyone who feels small and insignificant that they would see this table and realize when the Spirit gets a hold of them, they can be as powerful as the Lord walking through the earth. And I pray for anyone who already thinks too highly of themselves, that this table would have the opposite effect, and it would bring us all down to the level of humility. And we wouldn't think too highly of ourselves, but we would forget ourselves long enough to lend a helping hand when we leave here today. We thank you, Jesus, for always inviting us to the table and for bringing rhythms where there's been systems. In your name we pray, amen. The ushers will release you from the back to the front. Come to the table this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.